Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is Wednesday, September 15th, 2021. You guys ready to hop right into the scripture? Look at 1 Kings 20, picking up in verse 11. Say, there as you are turning there. It says this, the king of Israel answered, tell him, one who puts on his armor should not boast like one who takes it off. Man, that sounds like fighting words to me. We won't need a press secretary to tout victory on all sides. Or be, or be those who need to smooth over our actual state of the union address to make it sound better so that our hearts can have a uh, well-scripture speech. No, church, you are the victorious church of the living God. Amen. And you will absolutely taste victory. We haven't, just, we, ju we haven't just been given identity of Christ, spoils of war. But we are beginning to operate in a military movement that is ordained by our king, a military movement with the brotherhood moving as one man. Say military movement. movement. Were y'all blessed by that word on Sunday? Oh, yeah. We were too. We, we moving right along. Today, state of our country, America. See, America, America has long been a country that represents freedom. Yes. The land of the free, the home of the braves. And I'm not talking about the uh, indigenous kind or those in Atlanta with the, uh, the funny, playing with the funny baseballs. Uh, today, see, we've experienced uh, what you might call a semantic drift because America once represented freedom. It, it represented something that was a, a standard that everybody around wanted to be a part of. But today, We've had a semantic drift in what this, uh, the freedom that America represents, it's, uh, it's drifted a little bit. Maybe it's fallen. Today, what freedom has come to represent is freedom from any and all kinds of restraint. Wow. Yeah. Dietary restraint. Yeah, I'm talking about myself too. Uh, restraint with, with God's word. <laughs> freedom from any and every biblical standard. Even the common sense ones are like, you were born either a woman or a man. Freedom from any commitments that we make to our friends and our allies. Wow. We've, been, we've been freed from them because we are America, baby. Wow. You see, that's what America has become, but it's not how it started. Yeah. And today, just so you don't get confused, today is not the 4th of July. Mm. And this is not a feature film starring Will Smith. It's true. As you can see, obviously, we are in fact black. In case you didn't notice, we're, we're black. And we can all agree that my brother here is a lot better looking than Will Smith. But this sermon, though, this word is going to be better than all of his latest movies combined. That's right. But it is entitled Independence Day. Oh, yeah. Say that with us. Independence Day. Now let us reacquaint ourselves with the biblical truth first and then, then re-examine our actual independence as a nation. Turn with us to Psalm 133. 
All right, let's get there. Psalm 133. Say Independence Day as you're going there. Look at verse 1. How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity? Somebody say amen. Amen. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. What we can see here in Psalm 133 is that the Lord's faith favors the biblical brotherhood and unity of every member acting as a singular anointed priest. Amen. This is where God's oil and favor is. Amen. In light of this, let's look at the, the opening line of our constitution, the constitution of this nation, and what our forefathers thought the purpose of what their independence really was aiming at. Sambu, do we have that slide? All right. My, brother, so, my brother's going to read this, and I, you may hear me comment uh, here in a little bit. So, All right, check this out. The Constitution, the preamble. We the people of we the United people. States, in order to form a more perfect union, say that with me, perfect union. Perfect union. Establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. Shalom. Provide for the common defense, Come promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. Come on. The founding fathers of this nation set out to dethrone the British monarchy for the, the British monarchy for the purpose of establishing a more perfect union. Not, not a more individualistic one. And because the food sucked. That's true. Uh, <laughs> unless, unless you like fish and chips. <laughs> However, how this relates to us is that we, the body of Christ, have been freed from a malevolent, satanic monarch so that we can be free to form a more perfect Union with our magnificent Savior and the members of his body. Amen. Keeping that in mind, take a look at Ephesians 2 and what it says in verse 21. In him, the whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Church, when we get our constitution right, this works perfectly. Not even a degree off. When we get our spiritual constitution right, this forms the most perfect of all unions. Much like the one we experienced this past Saturday with the Carters. Now there is something that we want to share with you because you're our family. And it might come as a shock to those who are watching online, our, our family and friends. But we are not Democrats. In fact, <laughs> and yet, yeah. and yet, and yet. In fact, I don't like donkeys, just in case <laughs> you want to know. Yet, we have something very positive to say about our current president at a time where 
nobody can find anything good to say about a man. We think it is amazing. I mean, we think it's absolutely astounding of how he works in a team. Did you guys know that? That he works in a team? Tell he, us, brother. He won't even answer a question without his team's approval or call on a reporter without having counsel in advance. That is Teamwork. perfect unity. Yeah, <laughs> Think about it. His team works really hard to protect him. If he ever goes off script, they simply just cut off his mic to protect him. <laughs> Church, all jokings aside, what we're not talking about is unity to hide our incompetence. What we are talking about is a perfect unity with Messiah's body that makes us competent ministers. Come on. Y'all ready to have a good time? Yeah. We, we had a good time so far, hadn't we? Yeah. It's about to get better. Yeah. Now, the first thing we're going to talk about are the things that war against us. Moving in a more perfect union. A more perfect uh, unity with our brothers. Yeah. Things that are warring against us moving in dependence. Mm. The first of that is pride and the monarch of self-rule. Turn to Joshua 7, verse 7 and 8. Say, independence when you get there. All right. You guys ready to clench with this? Okay. Everyone in Joshua 7? Check out verse 7. It says this. And Joshua said, Alas, O sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Sounds accusatory. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. So just a little bit of context here in Joshua 7. After 40 years in the desert, Israel, now under the command of Joshua, has crossed the Jordan River as one unified man. And they're beginning to, con they're beginning to conquest they begin to perform conquest on the promised land. And they're winning at every turn. They did this with Jericho. But in this situation, in Joshua 7, Achan has done something bad. Somebody say boo. boo. Achan did something prideful here. There's a prideful independence that's working in him. He does this without ever consulting the members of his family the members of the tribes, or the leaders of his day. And because of this, they have not just suffered their first defeat at Ai, and Joshua is crying out to the Lord. I'll say that again. Because of this, they have just suffered their first defeat at Ai. Achan is acting completely independent outside of the body, and here Joshua's before the Lord crying out. But if we think about this and we engage with Joshua 7, them losing battles is not why they left Egypt. They were unified when they crossed the Jordan. They were unified when they defeated Jericho. Do you guys remember that? But right here, this is not the independence that they were set free for. Now, you guys are, you guys are Bible scholars. You're, you're familiar with Joshua 7. You're familiar with the story of Achan. And it's very easy to think that Achan is the only one here acting in prideful, 
independence. But we want to draw your attention to what Joshua is actually doing here and how he is reacting. When he says to the Lord, they would have rather stayed on the other side of the Jordan than to face the fact that he missed it. You guys, you guys tracking with that? He's crying out to the Lord, and he would have rather been content in security, comfortable, away from defeat, than to actually face the areas of his life that he needs to get right. Joshua is crying out for something settled and safe, something that is a long way from the defeat that he just suffered. Can you guys relate to that? I know I can. I've been relating to this passage real good. I'm saying it's been, it's been turning over things in my heart. When I look at how Joshua responds here, when been, was, there's, been a, there's been a failing in Israel. But he responds by going on his hands and his knees and saying, Lord, why did you even send us here to do this? And as I interact with it, I can see that in my own heart. In me, this highlights a deceptive disposition of vain conceit. But it's masked. It's masked as mourning over my own state. Mourning over my, my lack of discipline or my own lack of uh, discernment. This, it's what, you, it's what I'm, I'm seeing as I'm engaging with Joshua here. He's mourning over the fact that, hey, there was sin in the camp and I didn't see it. Let me illustrate that to you. I'm talking about real personal out of my life this very week. And we don't have to stop it this week. I can talk to you for a long time, but I'm going to try to keep it this week. I'm, I'm not making promises. So this is, this is a, real, a real life example. A brother asked me on a Monday night, hey, how was your, your shalom? How was your mashloma? How was your day, brother? How was work? And I'm like, um, it, it, was, it was difficult. I, I, it, was, it was rough. I had problems with my computer. I, I couldn't get things to work. And from that very moment, I, I felt off. I'm like, hmm, what's going on? And as we get into, uh, into corporate prayer, as we get into uh, the word and worship, I realized, like, yeah, that was a... Uh, 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 baloney sandwich of an answer. That, that, was, that was pretty bad. Uh, it was a, a, a half-truth, but it wasn't the whole truth. See, the truth is that I had, it wasn't just the things externally that was making my, my day bad, but it was things that I was doing or not doing. So after, after the word, and it was a piercing word, I go to my brother and I'm like, hey, yeah, that, that, was, that was baloney. Uh, this is what's really going on. This is how, how, it's, how it's going on. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is how you're supposed to deal with it, right? What really started to grate against my soul, and you're going to laugh because I laughed as I was saying it, and I'm mourning it at the same time. Man, why did it take a brother to ask me a question to realize that something was off of my day the entire day? Why did it take corporate prayer and us praying in the body to realize that something's off? Man, why did it take the anointed, piercing word of God delivered by the anointed priesthood of God to show me that there was something going on in my heart. I, I should have been more godly than that. I'm on my hands and my knees. And that was pride. Didn't seem like it. But the fact that uh, I need correction that comes outside of me and I didn't catch it, man, I'm, I'm mourning. I'm wailing over my own state. And therein lies the issue. The issue about the day, that can be fixed. We're working on our discipline. But this, this deceitful, this concealed uh, mass level of pride that shows up in vain conceit whenever you have to be corrected, like whenever a brother has to correct you, whenever he has to 
he gets to, to call something out of you, it may seem like, oh, it's repentance. It's, it's right. But what it's actually masking in me is a level of pride. Now, that's just me. I don't know about you. Maybe we'll talk afterwards and we'll see. But that's what the Lord is interacting with, is, is engaging me with as I engage with this scripture. So let's pick back up in Joshua. We see here that the pride was working me over. I hated the fact that I needed to be corrected. What was really going on is that the monarch of self-rule and pride was clearly on the throne of my heart. How many of you felt this way? See, as we continue in Joshua, we're going we're gonna to get to a solution. But first, we're going we're gonna to clinch with this a little bit. We cannot mask pride as uh, repentance. We cannot treat uh, groveling on our hands and our knees as the fullness of repentance. You may start there, but you're going to see in the coming verses that there is something that you're called to do as a result of what you now see. Pick up in verse 8. Check this out in verse 8. It says this, Part of your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its, by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Did you guys catch the first part of verse 8? Pardon your servant. Let's just be honest. What is Joshua really doing here? He is self-pardoning himself. What we find Joshua doing here is he is operating in pride. This right here is a display of pride, even though it looks like a form of humility or contrition. I'm shocked that I actually need help. I'm yeah. shocked that I missed something. I right. cannot believe this. Yeah. You guys relate to this. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about me, not Joshua. I can see this clearly. This is this is uh, this stings as I'm up here preaching with to you guys. I can see this clearly in my own life. When it shows up in the form of, uh, man, I just I just want to get it right. You know what? I just want to get it right. So I'm just gonna take some time to pray. I'm gonna take some time to seek the Lord. I'm gonna take some time to to mold the scriptures and and, and dig for something so that I can get some direction so I can make a move. But in reality, what's really operating in the background is a pride that I have a fear of getting something wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, man, if, if, I, if I say it out loud, I can get it fixed. But really, it just it kind of grates on me just to actually admit that I have a fear of getting something wrong. Joshua seems to be operating in humility, but this is really pride operating. Uh, this is really pride on full display. This type of pride specifically shows up in that area. But to show that I am weak, the Lord allows it to be exposed. The Amen. Lord wants me to grow. Amen. Do you believe your father wants you to grow? Yes. Now, how does he operate and go about causing you to grow? Exposes does, it. Yeah, he exposes it. He doesn't just uh, like, oh, yeah, I know that you, you need to grow. I see there's errors in your life, so I'm just going to ignore all of this and just give you a pass go, like Monopoly. It doesn't work like that. He actually points things out in our lives that are heirs of weakness so that we can grow. And how does he do this? He does it through the brotherhood. Amen. He does this through our brothers. In my life, I realize that I need my brother's insight. Yeah. I need the collective direction of the brotherhood. What we're learning how to do more and more in our lives is to tear down the monarch of self-ruling pride Amen. 
so that we can operate in true freedom. Church, we need to learn how to joyfully, say joyfully, joyfully, dethrone every form of self-ruling pride so that we can form a more perfect union with our brothers and move as one anointed body. Come on. Say Independence Day. We're forming that more perfect union with our brothers. Now, because the Lord loves Joshua, he gives him a solution. Look at verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, I'm sorry you feel that way. No. That's not what he said. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? The solution is and always has been to stand up and face the pride that is there and ask the Lord what to do next. Now is not the time for false humility. Now is not the time to to fall on your face and grovel, but it's time to stand up to the monarch of self-rule and pride and dethrone it and run, persevere, go after forming a more perfect union with your brothers. Come on, that's a good word. Say persevere in, in forming a more perfect union. So even when we think about persevering, we kind of think about it ourselves, right? Like when you, when you dream about running a race, do you kind of dream about running a race alone? Like just striving. I'm just getting it. Chariots I'm of just fire. getting it. Nobody around you, right? That's not the more perfect union we're talking about. We're going to do it together, amen? See, the way that our country was founded, it wasn't by men who fell on their faces and groveled at the fact that, oh, man, we, we're only a few colonies. Uh, we don't know how to run a country. Country, We don't have an army. Our country was not, was not founded by men who did that. It was founded by men who learned how to stand up to the tyranny of a monarch who was increasingly taxing their resources and putting them under the yoke of slavery. How does that relate to us? We're going to stand up to the monarch of self-rule and this pride that is increasingly taxing our relationships. It's increasingly taxing our confidence, and it's increasingly taxing our momentum. That's not what we're called to. We're going to stand up, and we're going to do it alongside our brothers. In this way, we will form a more perfect union. It's time, church, to form a more perfect union. It's not until we stand up that we, that we then receive the orders from the one true king on how to set everything in right order. We can see that very plainly on the map because as our, as our brothers have said it, as our pastors have said it, it won't be five or six anointed men of God and their families going. It'll have to be the entire body moving in unity. So the Lord is working right now. He's working in us right now and getting into more perfect unity with our spouses, with our brothers, and with our pastors, with the, with the community of God before you. We have to get, and we are going to get in more perfect unity. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's look at Joshua 7, 13 and see how this is done. Because as we said, we're not persevering alone. Go. Consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. That which is devoted among you, O Israel, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. He is referring to the you here 
as the entire body. And you would think that because Joshua was the one repenting, right? Joshua was the one uh, crying out to the Lord and trying to get it right, that it would all be, would all be on Joshua's shoulders. I'm sure, he, I'm sure he was ready to accept that. But God's direction for him and God's direction was, for us was to gather the entire community. Yeah. Go and gather the people and consecrate yourselves for tomorrow I'm going to meet with you. And that is how we hear from God. Yeah. That is how we get direction from God. Joshua must be united with the people in a perfect union to identify the prideful independence that must be removed. God did not tell Joshua, hey, just go to Achan's house and y'all settle this uh, uh, privately, settle it when nobody sees it. He told him to consecrate the people and have them present in the entire ordeal. You realize that he didn't start off knowing that it was Achan. The people actually had to gather and they had to work through this as an entire body. How does that sound for a more perfect union? When you get down to it, the solution to all of our problems really is, when it, when it gets down to it, brass tacks, the solution is to form a more perfect union with the brotherhood of believers. Amen. Now, it is impossible to stand against our enemies unless we stand together in complete dependence. I said in complete dependence on God and on each other. Church, we must be consecrated together. Yes. So that we can grow together to root out the monarch of self-rule and pride that causes us to move independently of our brothers. And we must form a more perfect union and move as one anointed assembly on earth. Now, we're still talking about pride and we want to show you guys something. In 2 Corinthians 26... Picking up in verse 16, look at what it says. Second Chronicles 26, verse 16. Thank you. Say Independence Day as you go there. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Here, Uzziah had, de had developed a prideful independence that came from trusting in his, in his own strength even though it wasn't his to begin with, and it's causing him to act independently of the priesthood and exalting himself above his God-ordained team. In the verses prior to, to verse 16, you find out that he actually created a vast army. Although this was done in a team that included officials and family leaders, the monarch of self-rule and pride really set the stage for Uzziah's own downfall. Now, according to Hebrews 4, it says that the word of God is a double-edged sword. And because it's a double-edged sword, as we're engaging with this, and as I engage with this, I can see myself in, Uz in Uzziah. I see in my life when prideful independence causes me to act independently of my brothers. And really, it's only setting the stage for my own downfall. This shows up in areas of my life that I feel that I have control over. Hey, I have, I have dealt with my natural family before, so I'm pretty much an expert. And so how I dealt with them last time, I don't really need uh, the counsel, the insight, you know, the wisdom of my brother. I'm just going to do it how I've always done it. That, that, that self-rule and prideful independence actually causes their causes there to be disconnection from the true body of Christ. Yeah. And this is how Uzziah is operating, and this is what led to his downfall. He was a man that went completely uncorrected. 
not handling the situation rightly at all. His pride actually led to him being unfaithful to the Lord. And at the very spot where partnership with God and the priesthood should have been demonstrated at the altar of incense, Uzziah was acting in arrogance, pride, and completely independent of the genuine partnership with God and man. Man, I've created a vast army. My fame has gone all through the land. So I, I should be able to burn incense in God's house. No, this is arrogance. This is pride. This is him being completely independent of his brothers and the Lord. Now, we can clearly see this in Uzziah's life. We can point this out. But do you think he actually understood this? Do you honestly think that he was in the wrong? Talk to me. Do you think that he thought he was in the wrong? No. He wouldn't have done it. At least I hope not. While this is going on, Uzziah thought that he was in complete partnership with God. Complete unification with God. Or even dependency on God. But his self-deception was filled by his own self-pardoning. Couldn't see himself rightly. Church, we want you guys to track with us. Uzziah would have had to walk past the bronze altar to get to the golden altar. Where he's burning incense or trying to burn incense before the Lord. He would have had to pass go around the bronze altar to get to the incense, the, the golden altar of incense. He pardoned himself. He didn't rightly deal with his own sin. In fact, this reminded us of Psalm 36, picking up in verse 1. As, you, as we get to this, and you, you call out Independence Day, don't you wish, or don't you think Uzziah wishes that he would have had a friend that he actually listened to? They said, hey, don't collect 200, don't pass go, go back to jail, go back to the bronze altar. Don't you wish he thought he would have had that? But apparently, either he didn't have it, or he wouldn't listen anyway. So this is the result. We're going to read Psalm 36, 1 through 2 in the NET version. An evil man is rebellious to the core. He does not fear God, for he is too proud to recognize and give up his sin. Wow. Now, most of us don't come out and say, I am rebellious to the core, and I do not fear God. That's, that's not our speech. That's, that's not what we say. Yet, we find that our own pride blinds us to being able to even recognize the very things that are leading to our own downfall. My brother was speaking about Uzziah and, and that, man, do you think he wished he had brothers speaking into his life? If we would have actually kept reading in 2 Chronicles 26, he had priests speaking to him, charging him, trying to correct him, and he completely ignored them. And it led to his very downfall. Now, we all love Joshua. We love and respect him, don't you? Yes. yes. Did, did it hurt you a little bit when you saw a little bit of that in Joshua? Yes. It, it hurt me more that I saw it in Joshua than I did in myself. Because it speaks to the part of us that desires to do what is good, that, that wants to get it right, that wants to be a, a, a mighty warrior for the Lord, right? But cannot see that there's pride operating in the background. And at the same time, Uzziah, on the other hand, relates to the other nature that, that we have, that is in us, that is flat out rebellious and uh, stiff-necked 
yet it's, it's still blinded the same way Joshua was. Could not see what was going on in the background. That is why we need the brotherhood of believers. We need to love the brotherhood of believers. We need to love when we're receiving life-giving correction that actually sets us on a path to life. The solution for both, whether it be Joshua, Uzziah, or us, is that we must be consecrated together so that we can grow together to root out the monarch of self-rule and pride that causes us to move independently of our brothers, and we must form a more perfect union and move as one anointed priest. Amen. Let's look at another facet of what wars against us moving in a more perfect union with the Lord and with the brotherhood of believers. So we've already dealt with pride. What about entitlement to the rewards of your own efforts? Mm, maybe we just camp here a little bit. Matthew 14. As you turn to Matthew 14, pick it up in verse 12. Look at what it says. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowd followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Here we can see that something difficult has taken place in Jesus' life. In fact, it's that John the Baptist has, has been beheaded for the sake of the gospel. What we can also see here is that not even Jesus was entitled to his own time. Do you guys catch that? He wasn't entitled to his own time. One second. Jesus wasn't entitled to his own time, and you can see that even when he wanted to go spend time with himself and the Father, he rightly discerned what the Father wanted to do, which was to heal the sick, which was to take care of the crowd, which was to minister to the people. Now, we see that Jesus got it right, but if we truly engage what's going on here, how many of us, after any amount of difficulty, feel entitled to our own time? Do you guys hear that? Our time. It's just like us. We, we, we call it our time it as if like it, it belongs to us. My time. Our time. Now, if you haven't connected with that, parents, what about this? What about the uh, slipping schedule of your children that you desire to set independently of a more perfect union that the Lord has already established? Very yeah. It's convicted for me, and I'm preaching. <laughs> the personal application That's how this works. <laughs> yeah, when I look at my own life and I engage with this, I find I find this more to be true and it's piercing. When I'm faced with difficult circumstances and I believe that, you know, my past sacrifices, my my past difficulties, me enduring should really, you know, excuse me to to take this time out to myself. Lord, haven't you seen the sacrifice? Lord, haven't you seen me put in the effort? Lord, haven't you seen me make all, all this for the sake of the gospel? Can I just get some, some me time? No, this is, this is sinful. This is the monarch of self-rule and entitlement showing up in my very actions. It's masking itself as something noble. It's masking itself as something pure. It's masking itself as something reasonable, but it's really sinful, and I feel like I'm entitled to it. 
How about when you feel entitled to your own reward because you, I mean, I think that I've earned it. I think that I've, I've, I've put in some work here and I, I deserve to kind of maybe uh, take a day off, maybe throw off the yoke of discipline that God has put on me. That's just me. Lord, hasn't my effort to this point been good enough? Like, am I getting corrected again? Lord, hasn't it, are you, are you even pleased with what I did before? Much like Joshua throwing away everything that he did previously, saying like nothing, nothing that you did mattered before just because you need to be corrected. Now that seems innocent enough, even though it doesn't really seem innocent. But to me, I, I feel justified in it. Haven't I been given my best in what the Lord has shown me to do? Even though I don't know my own heart and I don't really know what my best is. Hasn't I, haven't I been doing my best? Don't I deserve a, a, just a, a little break? No, not you? Okay, how about this? Shouldn't I be graded on a curve? Because I'm really trying here, God. I mean, I'm giving it all that I got. Lord, if there's going to be something that difficult that comes, can you let me know when it's coming? Like, can you send me a tracking number like I would track my next uh, Umzu vitamin vitality pack? This is what I get as I interact with the scripture. This is a, a self-directed version of, oh, I think this is good enough. With, uh, with direction from my family, Lord, I think this is good enough. I, I shouldn't be receiving more correction here. Um, with with, with uh, raising my daughter, Lord, I, I think this is good enough here. I shouldn't really be, deceiving, uh, be receiving correction. And it is deceiving. The solution for both is that we must be consecrated together. Yeah. See, because Hebrews says that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but for those trained by it, it produced a harvest of righteousness. Lord, I, I want a, just a, a more pleasant form of discipline. No, that is entitlement. We don't choose because we don't know what to choose. We have a good shepherd, though, that knows exactly what we need. And when we want to be entitled, praise God, he does not let us go. And if he did let you go, Hebrews 12 actually said, says without what you would be. You'd be an illegitimate child. If you got to go your own way, if you got to scapegoat, sidestep the discipline that God is actually putting on you to form you, to grow your faith and to bless you, that would actually make you an illegitimate child and not a son. Praise God our Father doesn't treat us like that. Amen. Praise God we have been joined to the body of believers and we are forming a more perfect union in the midst of the discipline, in the midst of the difficulty. We're going to need this in the days ahead. Amen. The solution is that we must be consecrated together so that we can grow together so that we can root out the monarch of self-rule and entitlement that causes us to move independently of our brothers. And we must form a more perfect union and move out as one anointed man. Say amen. amen. So we've hit on pride. We've hit on entitlement. There's Next. one more. Say one more. One more. Toxic independence. Oh! Mm. Second Samuel, picking up in verse 18. Just going to paraphrase this for you guys. This is uh, Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. This is after uh, the army of, of David have, they have conquered Absalom's army, and Absalom has actually been killed. And Ahimaaz has found himself wanting to deliver the message to David. Now, what we pick up is in verse 19, him speaking to Joab, who's the commander of the army. 
He says this, Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, said, Let me run and take the news to the king that the Lord has vindicated him by delivering him from the hand of his enemies. You are not the one to take the news today, Joab told him. You may take the news another time, but you must not do so today because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed down before Joab and ran off. Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, said to Joab again, Come what may, please let me run behind the Cushite. But Joab said, My son, why do you want to go? You don't have any news that will bring you a reward. He said, Come what may, I want to run. So Joab said, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. In this story, Ahimaaz is completely without revelation. He has cast off restraint. He is disregarding the life-saving advice from Joab. He thinks, Ahimaaz thinks, that his discernment, which is really masked in toxic independence of this particular situation, is higher than that of his own brother. Ahimaaz is his favorite part of the body in the nation of Israel. And as a result of his toxic independence, how this story ends is that he becomes completely irrelevant when he arrives to the king. If I'm being honest, I am Ahimaaz. I can see my life where I'm getting godly counsel from my brothers, getting godly counsel from my pastors. And I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds good. But internally, there's toxic independence working like, yeah, but my opinion of the situation, my, my discernment of this situation is uh, more higher than yours. This is what Ahimaaz is doing, and it, it causes him to become completely irrelevant and cut off from the body. See, this is us, but I suspect that it's also you. And if that example wasn't you, then this next one will be. It's me. This is me, too. Got a double bonus. Come with me. I want to run. As I interact with this scripture, come with me. I want to run, man. I just want to go, man. Don't hold me back. Don't slow me down. I see a little bit of Ahimaaz in me. Man, should it really, uh, should we really invest the time to trouble ourselves for perfect unity? Man, it is taking way too long to make this decision. Man, this is so, this is so difficult, Lord. No, it's, it's my sin. It's, it's my flesh burning up. But it shows up in the form of wanting to run ahead, wanting to go ahead and, and make a decision without the examination of my brothers. Never, never mind the fact that their examination might actually save my life and my family's life. Never mind the fact that uh, what, what I'm running with is not actually the clear-cut gospel. It needs to be refined. But I want to run. I want to go, man. But that's just me. How about you when you want to when you want to preach? How about when you need to give direction to your wife? Oh, I got it, man. Don't don't hold me back, pastor. Well, the fruit shows that you need a little bit of holding. A little bit of helping. And that's all right because we need each other. But I just want to run. Actually living an upright and disciplined life. Oh, I got corrected. Oh, I'm, I'm working on it. Don't ask me about how it's going. I'm, I'm, I got it, man. I'm getting it. I want to run. You know, it's almost as if the more perfect union isn't the actual goal here. But my own perfection is. 
That's just me. That's just, I'm just bearing my heart before you. But we have a solution. See, Ahamaz, he ran to his death in a way. We never see him again in Scripture. Do you want to be Ahamaz? No. Are you sure? Yes. What about the next time that you want to go ahead and, and do something? You feel like it's, you, you, you're being slowed down. You're being hindered by the pastors, by a brother, by some circumstance, some godly weakness that God has put into your life to, to correct you and to grow you. We want a more perfect unity. Thank you, Gibby. Ahamaz has separated himself from the head here, from the body. And I get the feeling that we aren't the only ones who have done the same. Looking at your beautiful faces. Now, the apostle Paul here is going to give us the answer. And he's going to show us how to be reunited with the body, reunited with his body. Here in Galatians 2. Turn to Galatians 2. Say, Independence Day when you get there. We're forming a more perfect union, y'all. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders. For I was fearful. I feared that I, was, I had run my race in vain. See, Ahamaz ran his race in vain. But Paul didn't, and Paul had the real gospel. Amen. How much more us? You think you got the real thing? You think you got what it takes? Well, a man who's written a lot more books of the Bible than you actually wanted the advice of his brothers, wanted the, the examining of his motives. How about you? Do you want to keep running your race in vain? Do you want to vanish from the Lord's book of life? I know you don't. That's not who you are. But we got to do something in order to stay on this, on this path. We have to form a more perfect union with each other. Amen. See, we're not running this race alone like Ahimaaz did. But Paul ran his race with his brothers. Do you want to run the race with your brothers? Yes. I'm going to tell you what, I need you. Whether or not you know it, I need you. We need you. We cannot run this race on our own, even when we slip up and forget that we think we can. We need to run this race together. Remember, we cannot grow separate from the body. Not even the two great witnesses of Revelation 11, Revelation 11, see, I need my pastors to correct me, <laughs> acted independently, but they worked in a more perfect unison as a team. And this brought fire on the earth. Let's just throw 1 Timothy 4 on the screen, picking up in verse 12. Do not let anyone look down on you because you were young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. Those 13 colonies that wanted an independence from the, the British rule of King George, you know, all it, all it took or was needed was one person saying, hey, I am tired of being taxed by this man. And that one person with his brothers, one people group said, hey, we're going to do something about this. And then from one colony to another, they bound it together. They joined together and they formed a more perfect unity. It took one to set an example. And Paul's speaking to Timothy here. He says, set an example for the believers. Man, my speech is not the best, Linton. Sometimes the way I live my life, it's not according to the standard. Man, the love that I need to have for the body is not there at times. My faith, my purity. But when I see you set an example... 
when I see you set fire to your pride, when I see you set fire to your entitlement, when I see you set fire to your toxic independence, it does something inside of me that says, hey, I too want to be free from this. I too no longer want to be bound. I too no longer want to be in bondage to this, and I want to do something about it because you are doing something about it. This is how we form a more perfect unity. That's beautiful. Because you know what I see? I see what, that when Nolan Hewitt functions in his mezuzah yeah. to set people on fire for the heart of God, on, that lights a fire in me. Yeah. And if it's, if it's a 4.30 morning, it, light, it really lights a fire in me. It might wake me up. When I see Andrew Hayes functioning in his calling in his mezuzah to lay down his life for the salvation of his brothers, that lights a fire in me. Amen. You see, as we all do this, as the body functions and builds itself up, we, start, we get a fire going, Amen. and we start to tear down this, this pride, and we tear down this tyrannical reign of all the things that were of the old kingdom. Come on. You're a batch of new yeast, mm. called to walk in the authority and all of the unity of the kingdom. Stand with us as we get ready to close. Amen. Church, you are a new batch. You have a fixed value. You've been placed in military array, and we're learning to run and move in that. When we remove these things and we set an example for the brothers, it forms a more perfect unity. And that unity is dangerous. Amen. It'll cause the devil to try to do all kinds of things to distract you. A clock might fall off the wall. Literal sewage may bubble up. But it doesn't matter because we're going to do it anyway. Brother, we're going we're gonna to have an altar call here based on Galatians 5.1. And it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Not just me free. It's for freedom that he has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We're not going back into the monarch of self-rule. We're not going back under that wicked kingship. No, we're standing in a more perfect unity and we're doing it together. Amen. As I begin to pray, many of you are going to run to this altar and run you shall. Stand up and come to this altar and consecrate the areas of your own heart that need to be freed from, self, from the monarch of self-rule. No groveling, no self-closing, no loathing, but depending on the one and only true king. And we are far more interested. Our father is far more interested in what we do when we get up from the altar. So you do it. And when you get up, you stand up like Joshua stood up and you consecrate with the people of God. We're going to worship. We're not going to moan and groan. We're going to worship the king and we will be consecrated together. Father, I thank you that you are forming a more perfect, powerful unity in this body, mighty God. But I thank you, you are preparing us, Lord, to take back what, what the enemy has stolen, Father. But I'm asking God, as we lay down those areas, Lord, of pride, we lay down those areas of entitlement and of, of toxic independence, mighty God, that you would light a fire in our hearts, mighty God, for our brothers to see and for the entire world to see, mighty God. Lord, do your work in your people, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.